Three weeks ago, we, were, we had Pastor Jeff on the 26th of March, and then we had uh, Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday. So finally, we're getting back to Matthew chapter 13 to finish up this chapter, I'm hoping, this morning. And uh, I'll be honest with you, this seems like a straightforward chapter, and, and it really should be. But there's a, there's a lot um, about this, and um, I, I really uh, spent quite a bit of time just in, uh, in prayer and, and reading and just trying to say, Lord, what is it that you're trying to speak here? Because there's so many different opinions on this passage, uh, and so I'm going to hopefully share with you what I believe the Lord wants us to, to get out of this this morning. And so we started the chapter uh, three weeks ago, like I said. We got down through verse 23, I believe, where we finished the, um, the parable of the, uh, or the parable of the sower was explained. And so we got through verse 23, and I'd like to continue with verse 24 to the end of the chapter today. But just I want to quickly go back, because it's been three weeks, just to kind of quickly recap just some things uh, for us to consider as we go along here. Uh, remember, uh, in verse 3 of the chapter, remember it says that Jesus spoke many things to this multitude, including his disciples. He spoke to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And we already looked at the, the meaning of the sower, the four different soils, and the, the heart preparation of those four different soils. And we won't go into that again today, but I wanted to share with you just this idea of parables because uh, this word parable, uh, this is the first time here in the New Testament where it is given, and it literally means parabolo, and it means to cast or to throw alongside. And the idea is to compare two things side by side, comparing or juxtaposing, if you will, uh, things that are known against things that are unknown. And so as we look at chapter 13, we will see seven parables. Some have said that there's eight, and I can understand that. But there's seven parables, and the sower, and then we're going to look this morning at the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, the leaven, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, the dragnet. But Jesus spoke the, the parable of the sower to the multitude and the disciples, but he privately gave them the interpretation of it. And one thing we have to remember is that parables are meant to illustrate. God's heart is to always communicate and for us to understand. Uh, but parables are also given not only to, uh, to reveal, but also to conceal. And we're going to see that Jesus did that in this parables, in these parables that we're looking at in chapter 13. He did it to reveal and conceal. And, and the reason for that is because there were those in that multitude whose hearts were soft and believing, and they would understand. They, they believed in Christ, and, and, and his, their hearts were already prepared to hear what he had to say. And they would be able to understand even his interpretation. Now, he only gave the interpretation to his disciples. So there were a lot of people there who had the other kind of heart, and that was the heart that was hardened and unbelieving, and they would not understand. And so the Lord has this wonderful way of communicating truth to his disciples and to those who want to hear, and also concealing things for those whose hearts are hardened and they don't want to hear. And isn't that kind of crazy if you think about it? But God, he holds us accountable for what we know. And if our hearts aren't ready to absorb what it is, then he's not going to give us more if we're not ready to hear it. Does that make sense? And, and, and that's uh, what is really happening here. So Jesus then gives the parable of the sower in verses 4 through 9, speaking of the four soils. And then he goes on, we're going to skip down to verse 10, and his disciples, um, he, they understood that something was different here. And he says, why are you speaking to them in parables? And he said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And again, there's a reason it hadn't been given to them, because their hearts weren't prepared to handle it. They, they weren't ready to hear it. But this phrase, kingdom of heaven, in these parables, like we see uh, here in 13, is Jesus is speaking of a time when the redeemed, as well as those who think they are Christians but are not, it's a time when those two people dwell together. 
And when we look at examples like the parable of the wheat and the tares and the mustard seed and the parable of the dragnet, they clearly show this, that there is two different, this is a time period that's speaking of believers and those who are acting like believers. Maybe they're, they're, they're close, but maybe they're not really there at all, but they're in the church, but they're not real believers. And so the, these two different groups of people, believers and unbelievers, and yet they, they're all in this, and they're all calling themselves Christians. And we know that that happens, doesn't it? There are people here in this room this morning, hopefully none of us, but the Lord wants to reach you. Whether you're, uh, if you're an unbeliever, I'm glad you're here. That, that's the whole point of being here. So this is not uh, anything against anyone who is not a believer, Okay, that's not what this is about. Because God loves you, and he wants you to come to him. He wants you to come to him. But in the church in totality, all around us, overseas, all around the world, there are believers and unbelievers. And so this age that Jesus is speaking of in this chapter, uh, probably um, speaking of the time between the two advents, between when Christ was born until he would come back, uh, physically to the earth, uh, we, we know that that time period also includes the church age, this, this area from the moment on the day of Pentecost when the church was born until the rapture of the church. And so the church is in this time frame that is being referred to here as the kingdom of heaven. And, and Jesus is speaking uh, concerning those who will inherit the kingdom of heaven, those who will inherit the kingdom of heaven, otherwise known as the millennium the millennial reign or the thousand-year reign of Christ, which is yet future to us, isn't it? Does anybody think we're living in the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, with Christ sitting on the throne in Jerusalem? No, he's not. So this is clearly not referring to today. There are people who hold to a doctrine called kingdom now theology, and they believe that the church is going to evangelize the world, and then after the church is completely saturated and evangelized, then the Messiah will come. And, and that's also referred to as a post-millennial doctrine, if you will. But the Bible speaks nothing of that. In fact, things are going to get worse, unfortunately, in the church. And I've seen this with my own eyes. I've observed it with my own senses. And so this is not speaking of a time, uh, uh, meaning we're not in the millennial reign right now. I just want to get that squared away right off the bat. And I don't believe this time period that Jesus is referring to is speaking of the millennial reign because it speaks of the unbeliever and the believer live, you know, com- uh, being together, dwelling together, or being in the same environment. But in the millennial reign, Satan's going to be locked up for a thousand years. So The age that we live in now seems to pinpoint that this is the the time that he's referring to, this time including the church age where we see these things very obviously in front of us. So beginning in verse 18 through 23, Jesus explains that parable of the sower to the disciples privately, and we looked at that the last time we were together three weeks ago on this, but... Um, and I would encourage you to get the, the teaching of that. It was March, uh, March 19th where we went over those first 23 verses. Maybe look at that or listen to that again and then uh, into what we're looking at today. But let's just look at verses 24 through 30. I'd like to read it to you and then we'll get right into it. Notice in verse 24, after Jesus gives his disciples this uh, parable of the sower, after he explains it to them, And it says, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And so the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So Jesus obviously is speaking in a figurative language here. 
and, and, and talking about things that are occurring, the things that the disciples, it was still a mystery to them. The church age was still a, uh, a mystery to the disciples. Because in actuality, the church really hadn't begun. It was right on the cusp of really beginning on the day of Pentecost. I mean, the, belie- the, the disciples were believers, but this whole idea of, of this church age, they, they didn't understand. And certainly the prophets in the Old Testament, they didn't understand that there would be this church age, this age of, it's been over two, nearly 2,000 years now. The Old Testament prophets prophesied of the coming kingdom on earth, what we know as the millennial reign. They, they thought that that was going to come soon. They, they, and even the disciples and the people in Jerusalem, they were expecting Jesus to usher in the millennial reign, the, one, the, the, the reign of Christ that is spoken of in the Old Testament, the thousand-year reign of Christ. They had no clue that there would be this interruption in the program, <laughs> That they, instead of going from Christ's death and resurrection right into the kingdom age, the thousand-year reigns, they had no idea that right in the middle of that whole thing, there'd be another 2,000-plus years, which we are living in right now. We are living in that time right now. And so, let's look at it. Verse 24. So another parable he put to them. Notice them here seems to uh, include not only the disciples, but this multitude And later on, we're going to find that Jesus would explain this parable only to his disciples privately. He wouldn't share it with the multitude. He would pull them to the side, speak to them privately. And we know based on uh, verses 36 through uh, 36 39, Jesus reveals the, 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 the legend, if you will, of what these parable means. And what, and what do I mean by that? We just read that parable of the wheat and the tares, but who is the man who sows the good seed? We find out later in this chapter, it's the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Who, who is the field, or what is the field? And Jesus defines it for us. It is the world. Who are the good seeds? These are the sons of the kingdom, the, the believers. Who are the tares? These are the sons of the wicked one. People who may claim to be believers but are not believers at all or just downright wicked. And the enemy who sowed them, who is that? It's the devil. And the harvest, what is he speaking of? He's speaking of the end of the age. We are in an age right now and that age is coming to an end. When Jesus returns for the church and lifts us up and then when he comes back in his second coming, that's going to be the end of the age. Because when he comes back physically to the earth, a new age will begin, the thousand-year reign, the millennium, we call it. And it gets better after that, but I'm gonna, I won't go there because I don't want to derail us. And then the reapers, who are they? Well, they're the angels. They're the angels. And Jesus tells us these things later on in the chapters. But notice he says, But while men, verse 25, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And, and, and so the servants said, You sowed good seed, didn't you? And then how is it that it has tares? And he said, An enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, Do you want us to gather them up? And he says, No, lest... While you're gathering up the tares, you uproot the wheat with them. And, and we know this. When you're planting, when you have plants, ladies in your yard, or guys, when you're planting and you're weeding, some, weed, some weeds grow right next to your plant, the thing that you spent $49 for, you know, and you planted it in the ground. Now it's growing this really thick weed right next to it, and your, your temptation is just to grab it and rip it right out. But you know you can't do it you got to be really careful because the roots get around the other one and you could uproot both of them, right? So it's not a good idea. It's better to trim that thing, keep discourage it as much as you can and let the plant that you spent all your money on grow. And you tend to that. Now this word tares in the original language is uh, zizanion and it's darnel grass. It's, it's, a, it's a type of uh, grass it's actually a weed that grows alongside the wheat in Israel, and it looks very similar to wheat. And it's actually mildly poisonous to man. Mildly poisonous. If you were to eat, if you were to thresh grain, uh, you know, wheat, and you got some of the darnel grass, which looks very similar, if you were not, if you were to eat it, you would get, you might have a dizzy spell, you might be nauseated, you might have other symptoms. 
but, um, but this is why you can't remove it at, the, at that time because you could hurt the wheat. And, and as time gets closer to the harvest, the wheat, as it's, uh, the, the, the grain on the head begins to grow, it'll bow because of, of the weight of the grain. But the darnel grass, which grows up right next to it, that looks like wheat and has grain on it, it doesn't bow. And I find that interesting. There's even a spiritual lesson in this for us because the real wheat is bowing and the darnel wheat or the darnel grass is not bowing at all. As believers, we bow to Christ. And those who don't know Christ, who are just playing games, there's no bowing, there's no obeisance, there's no reverence, right? But this age that we live in before the second coming physically uh, of Christ coming physically to the earth is an interesting one, isn't it? It's very interesting because the church is filled with people in every congregation around the world today. It's very similar. There are those who are born again, and then there are those who, who think they are, and maybe they're really not, or maybe they're even wolves in sheep's clothing. And other than identifying a wolf, a wolf in sheep's clothing, we have to be very careful with each other, don't we, and not to judge one another. Because we're all growing, aren't we? The person sitting next to you may be further along in their walk with the Lord than you are. And maybe they're just starting out. You don't know, and it's not for us to, you know, don't go around looking for, you know, you're a tear. You're a tear. Well, how do you know that? You look just like us, but you're not one of us, you know. But you don't know. You don't know. And you've known this. You've known people who have called the name of Christ. They've, they've, they've said that they're born again, and they endure for a while, and then all of a sudden you realize that they're really not a, a believer at all. They, do some, you know, they, 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 they stop going to church. They're still sleeping around and doing their other things, and they, they never were Christ to begin with. But does he love them? Of course he does. And so as we look around, and hopefully you won't look around the room, but just look at yourself and say, Lord, help me to be secure in my walk with you and help me to encourage everyone else, and I'll let you sort that all out at the end. It's your business. It's not my business. But we need to make sure that we are Christ and encourage others as well. I, I, I love what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, we have, haven't we prophesied in your name, cast out demons, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This sounds like a person who came to church, but they really weren't part of the church. And God even allowed them to take part in some of the things that the church was doing, but they never were part of the church. I, I've, I've, I've seen that happen. Have you seen that happen? Don't know for sure. I mean, God is still working in their hearts, hopefully. But again, I can't worry about that. That's God's business. He'll, he'll sort all those things out. So verse 30, it says, So let them both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, and we already know who the reapers are, right? It tells us later on, I already gave you the, the legend of what these things mean. These are the angels. The angels, they'll, first they'll gather together the tares and then bind them in bundles to burn them. But he says, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so verse 30 seems to be speaking of this time of Christ's second coming when these things will occur. Now, we haven't got there yet, but in verse 41 and 42 and in verses 49 and 50, it uses similar language and it's speaking really of the same event of this idea of, of the, the tares being bound in bundles and then burned in the fire. And it's speaking of when Christ comes back in his second coming to the earth, physically. I mean, certainly there's a judgment at, at, at Armageddon. We've, we've looked at that when we were in Revelation, right? But there's also another time, uh, uh, not too long after that battle, that Jesus is going to separate the nations. He's going to have a, uh, the, we call it the sheep and the goats judgment, or you can call it that, but it's a separation. And it's another judgment. And it's speaking of that time as well. And probably speaking about that very specifically. 
In verse uh, 13, or chapter 13, verse 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That describes exactly what's going to happen during that judgment when Christ returns. Also in verse 49, it will be at the end of the age, it says, at the end of another parable, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into a furnace of fire. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a judgment that, as believers, we don't have to worry about. Because we'll already be in our glorified bodies, our resurrection bodies. Serving Christ in the millennium, we won't have to worry about this judgment. But we'll look at verse 50 a little more when we get there. But notice the next parable, the parable of the mustard seed. Another parable, listen, he, he puts forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than all the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." So mustard seeds were among the smallest seeds, and you've often heard the phrase, it's as small as a mustard seed. But a mustard seed is actually an herb. It's actually an herb, not a tree. It may grow into a bush, but it doesn't grow into a tree. So Jesus here is speaking of something abnormal that is happening. Something that is abnormal. And the birds lodging in its branches have been seen by some as a measure of success of the church. But that's not really accurate biblically. But rather it's speaking of, I believe, biblically again, of demonic activity within the church. And we see this in the parable of the sower and its interpretation. Look back with me at verse 4. Uh, again, if you would, please. Notice when Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower. What did he say in verse 4? He said, And he sowed, and some fell by the wayside, and the birds, underline that, the birds came and devoured them. Now look over in verse 19 when Jesus defines what that, those birds were. He says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So the Bible tells us right there. It's the best commentary ever. It tells us exactly what this, these birds mean. It's demonic activity. And there's many other passages. We won't go into that. So Jesus is speaking of a time when the church grows unnaturally large, and it has all over the world. And within it also are those, in addition to true believers, there's also within it, those who are compromised or unbelievers. And the message of the kingdom, the gospel, it exploded all over the earth, didn't it? Even today, everybody, there's probably nobody who's never heard the gospel or at least had somebody speak to them about it. You know, with the invention of the printing press and now the internet, the, the gospel is going out in untold ways all around the world. And this is very similar, this parable, to the wheat and the tares because it shows this mixture of those who are genuine and those who are not. And I would encourage you to focus on being one of the genuine ones. Don't let these parables create fear or anxiety within you unless you're not being honest with Christ. And if you're not being honest with Christ, I would encourage you today to get honest with him because he loves you dearly. And there's no need to play any games with him. We don't have to play act. In fact, don't play act at all. Just be genuine in your faith. Be genuine in your love for Christ. And don't let anything keep you from that. I mean, nobody really wants to play act, do they? I mean, I mean to me, if I was going to play act, I'd, I'd be doing something different. Why would I want to play act as a Christian? Unless my heart is not right, unless I'm delighting in some secret sin that I'm not willing to give up, I'm not willing to do anything, I'm not willing to surrender my life, but yet I come to church, and you know what? Thank God you're here. Don't get me wrong. Do you understand? It's good that you're here, but go the next step. (laughs) Don't don't sit in that place of, of question marks. Get the assurance, because you can have assurance of your salvation. 
The Spirit of God himself will confirm in your own heart whether you're one of his or not. And that is so wonderful. When you finally know that, when you finally get it and you finally know, even in spite of your sin today, even in spite of your, your, your struggles that we all have, knowing that you're a child of God, oh my goodness, it's like the search is over. I don't have to go and find something here. The search is over. And I pray for you today that the search is over. Notice he goes on and he gives them another parable. And doesn't this sound like today? These parables of this mixture, we see it very clearly. I can see it very clearly all around me. And I know you can too. He says, another parable, verse 33, he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like the leaven, or like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now leaven in the Bible is a type of sin. We see it in Exodus. We probably won't go through all these scriptures. You can write them all down, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to share with you a few of them. You remember at the Passover, after the Passover lamb had been slaughtered on, on, on Passover, that the very next thing that they would do is they would enter into the feast of unleavened bread. So as a result of the sacrifice of the lamb, which typifies Christ, doesn't it? Then they would go through their house and they would remove all of the leaven, all of the leaven, because leaven is something that ferments and it blows up. And it becomes something, it's not real, it's fake. You know, you know that, because ladies, when you make bread, it, you know, it's not dense, it's kind of poofy because of the fermentation that happened. It gives a, a, sol, a false sense of how large the loaf really is because of the leaven. So this day, it says in Exodus 12, verse 14, this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses for whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Literally be killed, executed. Does leaven sound like a good thing? No. In context, we know that leaven, for that purpose of what they were doing, for that feast, leaven was to be getting out of, gotten out of the house. Speaking of sin. But notice, the sin got taken care of after the sacrifice. In other words, don't try to clean up your act and come to Christ. Give your heart to Christ and he'll clean up your act. Right? Even in the grain offerings under the Mosaic law in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11, no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. And I'm just going to go to the, uh, the last one in 1 Corinthians. Paul's speaking to them. He says, your glorying is not good. He was speaking to this church that had become corrupt and carnal. And they had a lot of good things going for them. But he says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, he was upbraiding them for some sin issues that they were entertaining. And he says, don't you know that a little leaven in your gathering is going to only spread? People are going to see you getting away with it and thinking, wow, it must be okay for me to continue to do this or that. And I'll do it, I guess, as well because, you know. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So there it is. And there's many other passages. So this idea of leaven is not a good connotation. And it's in the church, right? The idea here in this parable seems to be sin permeating the church and continuing to do so with the goal to infect the whole. And the truth of the matter is we see this happening now more than ever. This church and other fellowships like it 10 to 15 years ago were filled. We used to have two services. On, and again, I'm not... Uh, saying anything to make you feel bad here. I'm glad you're here. But we, there used to be a lot, a lot of people here in, in every church. This is happening not just here. It's, it's everywhere. Something is happening. And it's happening exactly the way Jesus said. 
So make your calling and your election sure. But now people stay home, and because of the online thing, and there's, there's reasons to stay home if you're sick or you're having a hard time. There's no problems there. But there are people who are just lazy. They sit around and they watch Andy Stanley or listen to some other false prophet like him or false teacher. And they're getting all this junk into their heart, and it's going against what the Bible says, and yet people do it. And they get carried away. They get carried away. Leaven in the church. People are falling away. Churches are splitting. Denominations are dividing. Even Calvary Chapel several years ago split. It used to be Calvary Chapel. Now there's the Calvary Global Network and then CCA, Calvary Chapel Association. We belong to the Calvary Chapel Association, which really holds to the teachings of the Bible and what Chuck Smith was sharing with us, which, we, which are biblical. And, th- and this is my opinion. The CGN, there's a group of, of men, and they have the right to do this, but they're going in a different direction. They can, ha- they can do that if they want to. But Calvary Chapel had to come to a point where, hey, what side are you on? Are you going to follow the, you know, what I, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you, what is true in the Word of God, the, the way we've been taught all these years, Am I going to believe that or am I going to start going off in some more liberal things? And there's the difference. The Methodist church has split. Leaven in the church. There's one group that embraces the woke ideology and the LGBTQ agenda. Even the pastors. I see videos of them dressed up. The guy looks like a bag of Skittles. He looks, he's all rainbowed out. And he's, he's teaching the word of God, saying that Jesus is a drag queen. I'm not kidding. And, t- and having drag queens dance and worship and do all these things, and it's just the most heretical, horrible thing you've ever seen. And yes, I guess that makes me a hater, but you know what? It doesn't. It's detestable. God loves those people, but what they are doing is detestable. In God's sight, Their argument is with God. Don't argue with me, because I'm going to show you the scripture right where it says it. And your argument is going to be with God. What about the Anglican church? Recently, they've totally embraced the LGBTQ agenda. Horrible to see what they're doing. I mean, it's just, it's demonic, folks. Leaven in the church. Many churches in America, in New York, here even in Monroe County, given themselves over to the social gospel, social justice gospel, the woke ideology, giving themselves over to appease the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender movement. And the transgender movement's even more militant than the, the folks who are um, homosexual. And does God love these people? I'm saying this for the record because somebody's going to take this out of context and say, oh, he hates them. No, I don't. I hate what they're doing. God hates what I sin. God hates what they're doing. He loves the person, but he hates the sin. Follow me? He loves them. If you come across any of these people, don't bash them. Love them. They need love, but they need to come to Christ. They don't need our, you know, banging them up, you know, and smashing them up and bashing them verbally. They don't need that. They need love. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. But God loves them. The church ought not to bash them. But can I call that whole thing, or what, I've, what I've described to you, an abomination? Yes, it is detestable because God sees it that way, but he loves them. We've got to draw them out if we can. If they're unwilling, then you just got to let them go and pray for them. I mean, there's really nothing you can do. You, pray, well, you, you can. You can pray for them. Pray for them. But what is happening? Yes, leaven is propagated through the American church. The church in America is, uh, on, on the whole, has lost its moorings. It's lost its anchor. It's forgotten who saved them. It's forgot who Christ is. The American church is more concerned about being relevant and appeasing the radicals and not upsetting congregants and the money that they bring in rather than being holy and true to the word of God. What a complete shame. The church in America needs to repent. 
Now, maybe none of you, maybe some of us, maybe all of us, I don't know. There, but the thing is, is we, the church in totality in America, needs to repent of its sin. There are mega churches that don't even open the Bible. There's a church not too far away from here who, who the pastor is a homosexual male and his, his wife is a woman. And the church is okay with it. Are you kidding me? The person needs Christ, needs love, right? But they can't be up in the pulpit. Why? Am I just being bigoted and mean? No, I'm just telling you the truth. Who wants to tell the truth? The church is filled with leaven. And what are we going to do about that, church? The thing that we can do is examine ourselves. Let's examine our own hearts. And I'm going to do the same thing. Would you join me in that and really just search our own hearts? Say, God, what is it? Let me put away all the stuff that I know is wrong. We're not perfect people. Not one of us here is perfect. We have all have our issues. I've got my own, and the Lord is working. He's working. He's conforming me to his image. But make sure that you're being conformed to the image of Christ rather than conformed to the image of the world. Amen? Because he loves you. He loves you. My mother did things to me that she would probably be locked up you know, now because she would be you know, an abuser. I mean, she chased me with a belt. <laughs> with one of those really thin ones, too. She told me one day, and Mom, if you're watching, she'll, hopefully she'll laugh about this. I'm laughing. <laughs> um, you know, she would tell, I'd do something really horrible in the neighborhood, and I did it. I was a rotten kid. But she would go, and she'd say, go get a belt in my, in my, um, and my, my mom's a wonderful person, don't get me wrong, but she had her moments, and I deserved it. So I'm just going to fess up to it. She'd say, go into, my, go into my room and grab one of my belts. And so I figured I'd grab the really skinny one, thinking that that wouldn't hurt as bad. I learned. The Board of Education was applied to the seat of learning. But I learned, and she did it. Why? Because she loved me dearly. She does. There's nothing love like a mother's love. You know, my wife right now, you know, my daughter wasn't feeling well last night, so my daughter and my wife are, you know, sleeping on the couch together, my wife having been with her all night. You know, and it's just like, It's good stuff, right? Mother's love. And a father's love too. But notice, another parable he spoke to them, verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. So there, like I said before, there's those who hold to that kingdom now theology that somehow think that the church is going to evangelize the world and then Christ is going to come back and we're going to have a big party. It, it, it's not like that, folks. It's not true to the word of God. It's not, we, don't, we know we can see it not happening that way. But rather, these parables teach the opposite, that before Christ comes, um, and, and we are seeing it before our eyes. Notice that even in the parable of the sower, that even the seed that landed on good soil, notice what it says, that the fruit continually diminished rather than increased. It said, but he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirty. Notice the degradation. A hundred, sixty, thirty. Don't let that discourage you, folks. You've got to keep on keeping on. You've got to stay in your lane, and you've got to keep walking toward Christ, and don't let anything dissuade you. Don't be discouraged by the state of the world and the things that are going on in it. We've got to keep our head on Christ. That's why the Bible says, you know, like that song that we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus goes on in verse 34, and he says, In all these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things kept secret 
from the foundation of the world. And the church was certainly a secret in the Old Testament. It wasn't even intimated in the Old Testament. There was was something there, but nobody understood it. Even the prophets, they're like, I I don't know what this means. I imagine Jeremiah was very curious about this whole idea of the Gentiles coming into the, the fold. It's like, what? Okay, you... That's what you said. I'm writing it. I don't get it. I still don't get it, but I'm writing it. So verse 36 through 43, we already looked at this. We're just going to read through it quickly and just count it, look at a couple things. But we, we've already, Jesus has already told us and defined for us what this parable of the tares and the wheat and what they mean and all these characters. And we'll see it here very plainly. It says in, in verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away, notice. And then he went into the house. This is probably in Peter's house there in Capernaum. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the field is the, wor- is, is the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, which is still forward, looking forward now as we, the end of the age is coming. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. Age. Notice he said, it'll be at the end of this age. And the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, this is speaking of those judgments that are going to come when Christ comes physically to the earth in his second coming. And we'll look more at that when we get to verse 50. But notice in verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And see, that's you and I, folks. If you're a believer in Christ, that's your lot. That is your destiny. As a believer, you don't have to worry about that. Do you, do you believe it? You really can. Jesus has made sure that it's all here for us. And we, of all people that have ever lived in the history of the world, we have the greatest privilege. We do. We have the greatest privilege because we have the complete canon of Scripture. The Old and the New Testament. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. It all works together. We have it. And the Spirit of God has been poured out into us. And comes upon us. And folks, we're living in the last days. The last days. And the things that we've read in Revelation, we're seeing those things come to fruition. It's a great time to be alive. It's very difficult though, I'm not going to lie to you. Because the deceptions and the things, the deterioration and the things that are breaking down all around us is excruciatingly, heartbreakingly horrible. (laughs) Can anybody say amen to that? I do. I, I, I've never wept more than I do in the last couple of years. My heart's never been as sore as it's ever been than right now. But I know that I'm alive and I know that there's a battle. And I know that there is things on the horizon that are coming to pass as we speak. And there's no, there, there's no doubting it at all. No doubting it at all. And when it hits you like that, you're like, oh my goodness. Lord, there's no reason for me to vacillate anymore in my walk with you. There's no reason for me to go, oh, it, you know, it's your interpretation. No, it's happening. Open your eyes. It's happening. It's coming to pass, folks. And Christian, you better get ready. I am looking forward to the trumpet sound. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to go through some difficulties. I believe... We're going to go through some difficulties. But then, beam me up. <laughs> right? I'm looking forward to that. Sorry to be so, I don't mean to be irreverent. I mean that in the best possible way. 
I didn't make the allusion to Star Trek, even though I did, sort of. But I don't mean to be irreverent at all. I'm looking forward to being with him. The, the, the embodiment of perfection, the embodiment of love, the embodiment of truth and everything that is pure and holy. Don't you desire that? Don't you long for that in a world? And, and in, even in your own body, you're thinking, you know, even Paul said, you know, why does it that I do the things that I know I shouldn't do and the things that I should do are the things that I don't do? Who will deliver me from this body of death? He even himself yearned for that day of being redeemed and, and, and for the, our bodies to be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and to be taken up to Christ in the clouds where we'll meet him in the air. Comfort one another with these things. Yes, it's a great comfort to me. I wished it would happen now. There's nothing on this earth that holds me. Even memories of things to come. You know, maybe walking my daughter down the aisle. You know, men, you know, guys who have daughters, you know, you think, well, I want to walk my daughter down the aisle. You know, it's like, no. I mean, I'm looking forward to doing that. But you know what? I'm looking forward to seeing him face to face more than anything. More than anything. And so will she. Again, verse 44, he goes on, he says, now he gives the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. Now underline the word treasure, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now didn't Jesus define what, what, what the field was? He did. But who is it speaking of when it speaks of this idea of being a treasure? Well, in Exodus 19, it says this. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, God says, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And in Psalm 135, for the Lord has chosen Jacob, speaking of Israel, the Jews, for himself, Israel, for his special treasure. There's more, but we're going to stop there. The idea is this hidden treasure, this treasure is is Israel. The man in verse 44 represents Christ. So we learn that the field is the world. We learn that in verse 38. So this treasure that is hidden in the world. And throughout the Bible, the treasure never referred to the church, but always to Israel. It's the nation of Israel. And one of the reasons that Jesus came into the world was to redeem Israel. But we know that she would ultimately reject him, right? John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own and his own didn't even receive him. The Jews didn't even receive him. So God's heart was to redeem people who were lost in their sin and he would come to save Israel. But because of her rejection, God would put aside Israel for a time and he instead would purchase a bride unto himself, the church, and would deal with the nation of Israel and ultimately save them to enjoy a joined destiny with the church made up of Jew and Gentile in the millennial reign of Christ. God And the church has not replaced Israel. Israel and church, two separate entities, two different um, ways that God's going to deal with them, but they have the same destiny. They're going to be serving together in the millennial reign. I like that. Which goes to the next parable. The parable of the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found, notice, underline this, circle it, one pearl. He had found one pearl, this merchant, of great price. He went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. And a pearl is taking from the sea, isn't it? And a sea, biblically, refers to the nations. You can read Revelation 13, verse 1, the Antichrist, the, the beast coming from the sea, meaning this man who would come out of the, the, of the nations of humanity. The idea is that this pearl came from the sea, made up of many nations, not just Jewish, but Jew and Gentile. Notice that it's one pearl, not several, because the body of Christ is one, and the body of Christ is unified under her husband and king and savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians tells us in uh, chapter 10, verse 17, For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Actually, let me go down to the... the um, oops, I got the wrong thing up here. Sorry, folks. There we go. 
Let's go down to the third and fourth one on this, just for the sake of time. Paul says to the Corinthians in 12 verse 20, But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. We're one. The church is one. This one pearl that the merchant, Jesus, sold all that he had to purchase that one pearl. Who is that one pearl? It's not Jesus. It's the church. The church never paid anything to receive Christ. The other way around, he purchased us. He purchased us. In Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And did you know that pearls, how pearls are created? This is interesting. Pearls are created in an oyster due to an irritant of sand that gets into the oyster. And so it wounds the oyster, and as a result, it secretes a liquid that forms around the sand or the, the grain of sand, and it makes it really smooth. And then it begins, it continues to build, and it becomes a pearl. Many have attempted to think, well, Jesus is the pearl of great price, and it's tempting because he is beautiful. He is of great price. But notice it says the pearl of great price. Jesus wasn't purchased, was he? We were purchased with the, with the blood of Christ. Jesus sought the pearl. The pearl did not search out the one who had purchased it. You follow me? In fact, the Bible tells us some even horrible things about us. As the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand God, who seek God, and the answer is no, they've all turned aside. They have all gone together. They've all begun, become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Oh, that just ruins my self-esteem. I thought I was all that, and I realize I'm not. It's true. The pearl of great price is not Christ. Rather, by his blood, Jesus sought out and purchased a bride. He purchased the church made up of Jew and Gentile. And just like that oyster that is wounded from the grain of sand, also the very wounds of Christ, what happened as a result of the wounds of Christ? What happened as he pierced his side and blood and water came out? The birth of the church. On the cross at Calvary, he paid the price. He paid the price. Great, yes, a pearl of great price. Great was the price that was paid for that pearl, the church, the very blood of Christ, the Son of God. The pearl of great price. Going on now in the parable of the dragnet, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore and they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels, but they threw away the bad. And so it will be, notice, at the end of the age. The angels will come forth. Remember in the other parable, it talked about the reapers that were the angels. They will come forth and they'll separate the wicked from the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, this this parable seems to describe that judgment that is coming at the end of the age. And Matthew 25 actually tells us about that. It's called the judgment of the nations or the, the separation of the sheep and the goats. Let me just read it to you, but you might want to write it down in the margin of your Bible. Notice this. This is coming at the end of the age, after, Christ, after the, the battle of Armageddon has occurred, and there's a, it's going to be a horrible mess. Even afterwards, there's going to be a separation. It says, Jesus said this in Matthew 25, verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Notice. All the nations shall be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous are going to answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick? Or in prison and come to you, and the king will answer and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So the Jews, you supported the Jewish people. They're not a perfect people, but the Bible says there's a blessing if we pray for them. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the Jews. Hey, they're stubborn just like us. But God has a plan. And let's be praying for them. Pray for Israel. Pray for everything that's going on there. Keep an eye on it. And then he will answer, uh, and then then the same thing happens. uh, So, um, And then they will also say to him, Lord, when will we... um, Let me back up here. Then he said to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. He goes through this whole thing. He says, you didn't do any of these things for me either. And because you didn't do it to any of the least of these, my brethren, now you'll be cast out into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The judgment at the end of the age. So we believe that at the second coming of Christ, after the battle of Armageddon, that those events will take place. As Matthew tells us, another area. So Jesus, finally, verse 51, says to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasures things new and old. And so now Jesus was telling his disciples, Now you are responsible to dispel and to dispense this truth that I'm giving you to give it to you, to entrust it to you. I've shown you, I've explained these things to you. Now you go and you share those things. And see, you and I have that same mandate. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we tell people of what's coming in the future. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty for the unbeliever. It's great for the believer. And it's not up for you to, make the, to try and convince them. Let the Spirit of God convince them. We are just delivery boys. We are just messengers. God wants me and you to be a messenger. Don't worry about the results. We get bummed out when we don't see the results. Well, guess what? The results that you're going to see are going to discourage you. But should we stop? Being a witness, should we stop telling people, loving on them, telling them the truth, showing them those things that are coming, telling them Christ loves you, he's got a plan for your life. Are we going to stop doing that just because our feelings are hurt? Hey, there's a lot of things we have to do, don't we, that we don't like, like going to work every morning, (laughs) right? Some of you have jobs, you're like, man, I really don't want to go to work tomorrow. I hate my job. But you do it anyway. Well, sometimes it's not easy to share the gospel, especially with the antagonism, especially with uh, the looks that you get from people in Wegmans when you try to break into some kind of conversation. Don't be discouraged. They did it to Christ, they'll do it to you, but it's not up to us. Spread the seed. Throw the seed out as much as you can and let the Lord deal with all the rest. He doesn't hold you responsible for what he's going to do with that seed. He knows what he's going to do with it. And it will accomplish what he set it forth to do. Follow? Yeah. So finally, we're going to finish this last verse, this last section. And it's Jesus being rejected at Nazareth. And this will be Jesus' final visit to Nazareth. His final visit. And it says in verse 53, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, speaking of Nazareth, the place where he grew up, the the place where he helped his father, uh, really his caretaker, if you will, Joseph, in his carpentry business, he came to his own countries. He taught them in their synagogue synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? 
and his brothers, James, Josie, Simon, and Judas, and all the sister, his sisters, aren't they all here with us? When they use this phrase, is not this the carpenter's son? You know basically what that, that word this is a, a very derogatory statement. It, it's, it's a dig. It's a little knife in the gut is really what it is. It's, it's a term of contempt. This man? That's how we would probably say it today. Are you kidding? This guy? It's contemptuous. And that's exactly what they were thinking. Is not this the carpenter's son? And his brothers, James, Josies, and Simon and Judas, or Judah. Do you know Jesus had brothers and sisters after he was born? Yeah. There's doctrine out there that says that Mary never had kids, but it's not true. After Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph continued to have kids. And two of them wrote books in in the New Testament, letters, James and Jude. They have their epistles in our, in our Bible. They gave their lives for their brother-in-law, or their brother, their stepbrother, I guess you could really call it, right? Would you give your, if, you're, if your sister or brother claimed to be God and you grew up with them and you saw all the horrible things that they did, and they came to you one day and says, I'm God, would you agree with that statement? And would you go the even extra step and say, Yes, I do believe it. And not only do I believe it, I'll give my life for it because I never saw him do anything wrong. I'm willing to give my life for him because he said, and he's fulfilled all the scriptures. I mean, think of the, think of the, the testimony of that. But as sisters, are they not all here with us? And when, they, and when, when did the, or where then did this man get all these things? It was incredulous to them that something good could come out of Nazareth. And naturally so. It wasn't a very popular place. But they rejected him. So they were offended, verse 57, at him. But Jesus said to them, notice, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Everywhere else, people uh, are, are, are believing me and trusting what I'm saying, but not in my own house, not in my own town that I grew up in. And notice, now he did not do many mighty works there because of what? Their unbelief. And that really sums up the nation of Israel at this time. They were putting the nails in their coffin <laughs> because ultimately they were rejecting Christ and Christ would reject them for a season. And the final nail in the coffin is what we celebrated two weeks ago on Palm Sunday when he rode in on the donkey, you know, um, fulfilling Zechariah 9 verse 9 and fulfilling Daniel 9 verse 25 and 26. And yet they didn't receive him. And had they received him, he would have ushered in the millennial reign right then. But they rejected him finally. And he even said, if you only knew this your day, but now it's hidden from you. And this place, not one stone is going to be left upon another. And about 27 years later, or 37 years, 36, 7 years later, something like that, the Romans would come. Remember? And they would just destroy the temple and drag those stones off the side of the, the, um, the southwest side of the Temple Mount. I showed you a picture of me standing on them. Those rocks are still there today. Because they rejected him. But these parables, they speak very clearly of the time we live in today. And again, don't be discouraged by them. But we see these things happening, and it ought to just draw your heart even closer. Hopefully it will. Because now is the time to not vacillate any longer. If there's any part of you today that is kind of like just, eh, kind of on the fence, I'm really kind of, eh, I pray that today you take that step. Get into the boat. Because guess what? That boat is leaving. When the Lord comes for us, you're going to be on that boat or on that ship. 
It's not going to be a physical ship. We're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Are you look, looking forward to that, church? I am. I'm so loving it. Fall in love with Jesus. Don't fall in love with religion. Don't fall in love with a denomination. Don't fall in love with a, a, a pastor on YouTube. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. Who cares about anything else? Now going forward, care about him and what he has to say and follow him with all of your heart and soul. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this uh, exhortation, Lord, in these parables. And Lord, it, it, uh, it certainly, Lord, we, we see as we've read these parables, Lord, we see these things. We, we see them. I can see them today. I can see them over the last several years, Lord, these things coming into greater focus, Lord. But Lord, help us, the church, again, Lord, get focused with you and to draw near to you, Father. And would you please continue to cleanse and heal us and forgive us of all of our sin, God, every single one of us. Lord, I pray that you would pour the blood of Christ over all of us today and that we would be washed as white as snow. Though our sins are as scarlet, yet you will make us white as snow. The pure blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, cover us today and continue to cover us and give us your heart, Jesus. Give us your heart, give us your mind and set us on fire again. Not in weird Pentecostalism. Set us on, on fire where our hearts are united with yours. That we love intensely and that we hate sin first in our own life. Lord, would you do that work in us today and all throughout this week and the next weeks and the next months and until you come, would you do that work? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.